What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hi, everybody. I am really excited to be bringing you uh, what we're talking about today. And I, because it's one of those episodes, sometimes Mark and I will give you kind of uh, our thoughts on a subject, something that we've dabbled with. And really what I'm doing today is I'm just sharing with you some of the great benefit of my life. One of, one of my favorite things in my life, um, and I'll get to that. I was thinking of the ways that we could title this episode. We could call it How Jesus Went to Church, Why Men Should Hate Church, as we do it now. Um, use the Bible to make real men. We could call it Your Church is Doing Church Wrong. That's a pretty good title. I, I might use that. Your Church is Doing Church Wrong. The Best Men's Bible Group Ever. Or, really, I'll probably title it something around this uh, because my heart is how to make dad more confident in teaching the Bible at home. That's that's my greatest interest is how do we create in dad you the confidence around the Bible so that he can come home and feel good that I have what it takes to 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 pull this thing apart and to give it as a gift to my family. Um, it's going to be an interesting episode because I have, over the last few weeks, interviewed a couple of guys that you've heard from before um, and asked them about the concept of Bible study and how church works. And I'll, I'll just start before I start playing some of those interviews by saying that I read a book in college uh, called The Open Church by James Rutz. And I really like the author James Rutz. And he says that the way that church works right now, which as you might know, is not described in your Bible. What we do right now is we meet on Sunday mornings uh, typically at 11 a.m. That was created by um, um, Luther, Martin Luther. He wanted to uh, meet as late as possible in the morning on Sunday morning so that he could have his uh, beer on Saturday night and have a little bit of a lion on Sunday morning. And I don't know if you know that. It's a very modern idea that when we meet together, we, we, there's a little, uh, Singing time, that is, there is a biblical tradition around singing together. Then a very talented man stands up, usually the most gifted or knowledgeable person um, in, in your circle stands up and he speaks in a captivating way, um, in a witty way, um, hopefully in a learned way about the scripture. And as Rutz describes it, the, the collective conditioning that happens to us by that meeting is that we become a group of trainee mutes, trainee mutes. We have learned that when we get together in a spiritual context, that's the time for us to shut up and defer to the really talented, learned person. And that is not helpful um, when you're supposed to be leading your family, 
by expressing, by speaking. It doesn't help when you're supposed to be persuading your uh, fellow brother and encouraging him to follow the Lord. It doesn't help when the world, the dying world around you needs you to guess what? Uh, speak the gospel to them. It, it When we think that, oh, I, I, what I'm supposed to do is be quiet and sit and listen. That's not a good way for us to learn, as we'll hear. And it doesn't do well uh, for us as men to train us to become teachers. I, as, as you might know, if you've listened to Abraham's Wallet for a while, I want to qualify and I want to develop men who qualify to be elders. And 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 tell us that elders are able to teach. Well, you don't become able to teach by attending church services where you sit passively and listen to someone speak. That's not how you would be trained to teach. So how could you be trained to teach? These are the problems that I'm laying out for you. And, and so we're going to go to a couple of um, interviews uh, with my friend Justin, my friend Jeremy, and they're going to talk about the concept of biblical teaching, uh, or, or I should say how the Bible describes um, how we are to meet around the pages of the Bible. So let's listen to some of these conversations. I think you're going to be uh, delighted by what you hear. where there was like Jesus was there asking questions and anytime you see someone going to church or the synagogue in the scriptures there was always a discussion a debate an intense one <laughs> and that is really how we're designed to learn and especially as men we're really designed to learn by the iron sharpening iron the debate going back and forth about the scriptures uh, but it's much easier to be a passive man and sit in a church and let someone else give you all the answers. Okay, we'll pay good money for someone else to be to be just be passive. But it takes responsibility takes responsibility on the collective group to make this thing work. There's not going to be one teacher today. We're going to let the scriptures be primary. I'm going to keep going on my little soapbox. But when Jesus read the scriptures in the temple. Uh, and then after he read the scriptures, if you've been around me for a while, you hear me quote this because it's in the Bible. What did he do after he read the scriptures when he was in the temple, when he read the Isaiah verse? Sat down. He sat down and there was a discussion. And that mode was scripture, you stand and you read. That's primary. And then you sit down when you have an opinion because it's secondary to scripture. And so that's how we do it today. I'll stand and read the scriptures of Job 1 and 2. Would you define for us what is a midrash and where did that idea come from? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a Hebraic idea. If you read, uh, it's, there's sort of a, a recording of the rabbis um, going through the Torah and, and having this midrash where they each sort of represent various communities and they're trying to understand Okay, how do you live this out? And and so you say this rabbi says this. This so there was this very dynamic discussions, but they were very intense because whatever was decided about how to interpret that part of the Torah, they were going to take back to their respective communities and try to apply it and, and be obedient to what they believed the Torah was saying. So it's so the outcome of the discussion became right. marching orders. That's right. So sometimes in, in a Bible study, you know. 
um, you're kind of like always very hovering above the text and like, oh, this is interesting and we're all having insights, right? <laughs> um, and so there's not this expectation that I should probably, if I disagree, like, I, you know, and I'm not going to apply what this is saying, I should participate. And, and part of it is you have to have a voice in the conversation if you're going to potentially take that back and, and change your life around it. So, so what is a format where you could get together, study the scriptures in such a way that if we begin to discover applications, people will actually uh, apply them and obey. Um, they, it needs to be robust. People, it, you need to invite the, the, the people to voice their disagreements, and you need to allow for there to be real sharpening, real challenging, real dynamic conversation. Uh, and it's super fun and uh, and very impactful. So so that 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 was something I felt like I, I lacked in my life. And, you know, how do you how do how do men um, do that iron sharpens iron thing? So that that's kind of where it came from was the desire to to be with other fathers who are having this experience of wow, I'm going to take this back to my family, our community, and actually uh, try to uh, try to influence and and, and obey what I, we believe that the scriptures are saying. Tell me, what is the Midrash? It's really, frankly, the way Jesus went to church. He went uh, to church, and the Bible was primary. So the way they went to church is someone would stand, someone respected, would read a section of Scripture. And then, as you see Jesus, he would sit down, and then there would be a heated discussion as if your life mattered how you interpreted that Scripture. And by the format of it, of someone reading the Scripture standing, Scripture became primary, and the discussion became how we interpret it and apply your lives. And why I love this approach is it really, and I've never seen a better tool to empower men to feel confident with the scriptures and reading them and leading them in their own homes. Unless a small minority of people could go to seminary, it's not normal, and feel confident with scripture. But the average man cannot go to seminary. But this is a powerful tool to teach men and equip men to actually feel confident to lead in the scriptures. And the discussion becomes, it really becomes a balancing of versus one person. If you have a very talented preacher, funny charismatic teaching that man is going to feel way less than I can't do that no way I can't I can't take the Bible and make that funny story or make that passionate tear fill I can't do that you know but each of us as men and fathers in our home can take the Bible read it make it primary and then have a discussion and so it's a very powerful tool uh, to use to train men and get people equipped uh, with the scriptures in real life scenarios where you can ask questions Anytime Jesus went to church, there was always questions and always a debate. <laughs> mm. And that's the opposite uh, of what church is today, where men are silent and passive, and it reinforces our bias to be passive uh, and not leaders in our own home. This is a famous passage in Luke 4 when Jesus stands up in the synagogue. So he's part of a midrash here. And he, and he kind of uncloaks, he's, he's preaching from Isaiah uh, 61 primarily. And he, he, well, I say preaching, he reads, he reads from Isaiah 61. He kind of uncloaks, this is my, this is my mission statement. This is what I'm here to do. Yes. And then he sits down. Yes. So, so I'll make a couple observations about that. Number one, just to underline what you already said, 
Even the Son of God, for whom every word that came out of his mouth was the word of the Lord, he made Scripture primary. And, and, the, and Scripture is held up at this golden standard where no commentary can even touch it. It's, it's exalted. And then we all sit underneath it. And then we argue with each other about what do we, what do, we do about that standard that was just laid out for us. That's one, that's one little observation. The other one is, um, as you were saying, that when men are in this kind of um, uh, forum, you could see the, the value of walking. Uh, is, this, is this Isaiah or Proverbs? If you walk with the wise, you will become wise. So one of the ways you walk with the wise is that you get to hear an old, uh, 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 a been there man, an elder type man who has successfully walked through life and raised a successful family. And you want to hear his commentary regularly on all of these questions about how life works, right? Correct. And is there a better possible forum for getting his commentary? No, I feel like, and you get not just his, you get multiple commentaries and you get multiple viewpoints and you can ask questions. Like when Jesus was, uh, when he went up for the Passover, I think this was in Luke 2, and he went in, he was asking questions within the temple. You had a 12-year-old boy, (laughs) almost man at that point, in the temple asking questions questions. And so that, again, where should the 12-year-olds be? (laughs) Where should the 13-year-old boys be? Again, we have said, no, they should be on their own thing, separated. And that you have a vision, yes, and entertaining them. And they're in there with the men learning this, you know, sense. And when a debate, I found this, uh, my son, who's 16, has been coming to some version of Midrash for a while. The ones he loves to come to are when there is a debate. <laughs> he, uh, he doesn't complain. He likes to go when he sees people arguing because yes. that's actually how we learn. The second someone starts arguing, your adrenaline drops, you're not bored, and you're going, you're honestly asking the question, who's right? Yes. Do I believe this? What? Yes. All of a sudden, your brain, this is why you learn, right? Yes. If I go and I, you go hear an amazing sermon and I come to you three days later and I say, what was the sermon about? You'd be like, well, I don't, um, right. I have no idea. But I guarantee you, we have a hot debate in here and I come to you three days later and I say, what was Mirash no. about? And I've done this. I've had, I've missed on a Saturday, we were out of town. I've missed. I said, hey, what was it about? They know what we actually talked about four or five. And they're like, and we were talking about it at home because when that debate happens and we don't understand about we just think it's all information giving people the information and the sexy podcast and they'll learn no you've got to elevate to a debate Uh, and then your learning is exponential that's excellent yes Um, and then again to reiterate something you've already said which is when when you are a player on the field you are not an observer of something that's happening apart from you, but you're, it's, it's right in front of you. You're the, the skill that you must develop. Um, if, you, if you want, of course, anybody can ask a question. And of course, anybody can say, what do you mean by that? Or what does that have to do with this current event or something? That's fine. But if you want to stand on something, if you want to make a point, you better come with the skill of the word yes. or you're going to get shut down. Yes, and that's happened to me. I've made a point and then I've been corrected. And that was good. <laughs> like, I was like, Oop, that, that point is like, I was wrong. Like, that's great. And so I get sharpened in this. And as I'm exploring and there's guards in here, right? It's not 
my church, where my view is the view. Right. I can and can and have and will be corrected or sharpened. So you're hearing from Justin and you're hearing from Jeremy and you're seeing that, okay, there's maybe this format that's supposed to be kind of exciting where there is a clash of men. Uh, I'll just to, just to expound a little bit on the verse that Justin referenced that um, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I believe that's Proverbs 17, 27. What happens when iron smashes against iron? If you've ever seen a blacksmith working, well, I'll tell you, um, confrontational pressure happens. There is a smashing that happens. Sparks fly. There's a little bit lost in the process. There's not as much steel there as it used to be because we're, we're pounding bits away and we're shaping. And there is a clash and it isn't comfortable. It isn't comforting. It's not a nice, pleasant interaction. It is a crash and clash interaction. And I would just ask all of you, where does crashing and clashing around the Word of God happen for you? Uh, Justin makes the point that in Jesus's day, they would have never let anyone read the Bible. They would have never let someone open the Bible with less than 10 people around. Did you know that? You had to have a quorum of 10 Jewish men to open the scrolls of the scripture because the idea was, well, if you just have two or three, they might all agree together on, on one idea. And if we have too much kind of agreement, we won't get that clash. And you're probably too immature to be able to handle the width and breadth of God's word. So we need to have uh, plenty of people there to get opinions and hopefully some gray beards are around to give you their insight on God's word. Now that is that flies in such the face of what we've heard that you need to get alone in your corner and open the Bible. Now there's if you want to do that, great, read your Bible, but I want you to feel that there's something missing when the only input you have into the scriptures is the preacher that you hear on Sunday morning and yourself what you think when you read the Bible. You come to your own personal conclusions. Your personal conclusions and insights should probably be, probably be trotted out in front of other folks so, so that we can get that clash. And we can. it's not just that we want uh, problems. It's not that we just want conflict around God's word, but we want the richness and the fullness of different experiences coming at the word and specifically those people who I consider graybeards, the older, wiser men who are, we've talked about this when we talked about retirement, those older men who are these city fathers that Proverbs 31 refers to as this man who meets at the city gates and he's able to expound upon the scripture. Well, there's something that uh, we experience in Cincinnati that's in my world. I was telling you, I, I wanted to give you the the benefit of a great thing that happened in my life. And that is um, that we have this midrash idea. We have it. It happens uh, twice a week in my world. Let's listen to Jeremy talk a little bit about how he came up with this idea for midrashing the way that we do. And how did you start? Uh, so it's just, I mean, I, I'm very 
keyed in on okay what what is a time frame that will that will be accessible to uh, to men in this situation i mean that that's a real that's a really tough question so that I would say that i've tweaked that a million different ways um, I think that you know i've tried to do this over lunches the, the first time I did this was you know over lunch because i'm like okay how, how, where do where can we get the guys together so I found yeah. a central place in Cincinnati I you know send out invites to every father I knew, you know, basically that, that is a believer and said, Hey, I'm going to be here. We're going to, you know, I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to bring in lunch. We're going to like sit down for an hour and a half, you know, every Thursday at lunch. And we're going to read a part of the Torah. Um, the you first invited everybody, Bible. everybody you knew. Yeah. All the, all the fathers and just said, Hey, we, we need to have this experience of sharpening each other and having a Bible study that, that's result will be, you know, real obedience um, to the scriptures. So we, and I also felt like part of this was, I don't think that most, I think fathers need to have a deep understanding of righteousness and justice. Like they need to be, they need a place where their intuitions around what is just, what is right, are friend. And I really think that's, that's the point of a lot of the Torah. So, so I started doing Torah studies. Um, so we'd spend two or three years going through the first five books of the Bible um, well, we actually originally did it uh, in, in a yearly uh, cycle. So mm. we would actually, I designed a study where we would read the Torah in a year. And we did that for like, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years mm-hmm. uh, over lunch um, with, with dads um, in, in, a, in that format. So that, that was super helpful. Um, and, you know, part of, we, we, part of what started to happen, too, is that guys would start to do a lot of study in advance and bring into the conversation you know, a lot of even rabbinical insights yeah. um, so that we didn't stare at each other blankly saying, okay, this is a very obscure conversation <laughs> about mildew in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. This is, how does this apply to my family? Exactly. Right. Now, what's shocking to me, I, I went way beyond what I even anticipated. We discovered that it's incredibly applicable to families today, um, but we did need a lot of help. There's a thing called the Torah class, uh, which is a podcast that was incredibly helpful that goes verse by verse through all five books of the Torah um, and other resources. I'm a very big fan of uh, David Foreman, who has a, um, a whole ministry to d- describe the, the, the practical applications of, of the Torah. And so most Christians, they just have never even had these conversations. They, they, there's nothing that seems less applicable to them than Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You yeah. know? Um, and man, fathers need this. They need so you, if, if somebody is going, I, I, got a, I got a couple of buddies that might be willing to go this direction you do you recommend they start with torah i think so i mean you know i think i think that there's you're in genesis for a long time and there is incredible application to to family in in you know the life of abraham and his family and all the different stories in genesis exodus is very applicable and easy and then when you start to wade into the law and all of the complexity of that that's when i would say by that time if you you get there it's probably time to make sure that somebody in the group has sort of a, a bit of a, a, a um, teaching gift that, that's willing to do some legwork uh, and listen to you know, some of these podcasts and, and do a little digging to make sure that there isn't the blank stares around you know, more obscure parts of the Torah. Right. But it is so encouraging because I think one of the things I've discovered too in doing these is that a lot of, a lot of believers – are embarrassed about the Bible, especially the Torah. Like they, they, 
they don't understand it. You know, this is this, this is the part of the Bible, by the way, atheists use, you know, yeah. most frequently to say you Christians are crazy. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so it's really important that we understand what a, you know, how to interpret this part of the scriptures. And so they're extremely applicable, but they're also, I think, a kind of hidden. And But once you start to fall in love with the Torah, like, you know, Psalm 119, the, you know, David is saying, I, the, my study of the Torah has made me wiser than all my teachers. You know, he's like, I love your commands. I love your <laughs> statutes. I, I mean, and what we've discovered is, is people have that experience. Fathers mm-hmm. come away from really thinking through the Torah in that way saying, this is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so practical. There are, there are some tough, you know, tough things in there that need to be, you know, really thought through. But it's, it's really, it's the, the word of God is good and it makes us wise. Excellent. So if you or, or, or Justin are facilitating this group, um, you, your coaching would be, you need to do a little prep work. You need to understand what the text says. But then if, if the group runs wild, you just let it go? A little bit. I mean, I, I want to see, I, let the tension build. That's like, be comfortable with disagreement in the context of a midrash. Midrash is supposed to, if you expect people to actually apply this to their life, they need to voice their questions and their disagreements. Yes. So air those. Like, let's have, let's have it out. That's what we're doing here. Um, so, but yeah, I, I mean, if, if, it's a, if it's a passage where the interpretation isn't super complex, I, I'll often come to a midrash with, with zero prep. I, I really, to me, it's about the rhythm. But when we get to the points where, where there are fairly obscure um, things that maybe no one's ever really thought about, that's when it, I think it is helpful to have somebody at least providing some context to, to, to do some, you know, some amount of legwork. So yeah, when we get into Leviticus, um, I generally will do a little prep you know, to make sure that, yeah, that it's a good discussion and that there aren't sort of basic concepts that the text is referring to that are completely obscure to everybody in the room, including me, which would make just having a robust discussion difficult. Yeah. Okay, you've heard Jeremy and Justin talking about how the Midrash model uh, works, what it is, Um, but we haven't gotten too practical um, at this point. So I'm just going to tell you how it works for us because Jeremy thought up a pretty pretty, uh, clever uh, solution to a problem. What he did was he asked, now he said that he had had it at lunch for years, which he did. And then at some point he wanted to transition to Saturday mornings so that more men would be available. So he polled all a whole bunch of dudes. What's the number one thing that keeps you from getting together with other men to read and discuss the Bible? And the number one issue, which won't surprise you, was um, our wives and and stranding our wives with a bunch of kids. And so how can we figure out how to get the kids occupied, taken care of, so that the men are free and the women don't feel hung out to dry? So he had this great idea which was let's go to the local trampoline park. Um, you've, you've seen these places sprung up over the last few uh, years. Uh, this, the place near us is called Urban Air. A little plug for Urban Air, ding. It's expensive, but it's fun. And 
what we do is we bring all the kids. Uh, we're the first ones in on, on Saturday mornings. They have little party rooms to the side that you can reserve. We reserve them every week. And we have a room reserved uh, for the dads to circle up chairs. And we can cram in uh, 20, maybe 25 guys. I'll show you a picture of what we look like in that room together. And then we reserve another room and hire a couple of babysitters for the, the young ones, say, say two, three and under. Paid babysitters. And then the rest of the kids, we turn them loose in this trampoline park. It is, uh, there are lifeguards nearby standing by and uh, the, the kids really love it all the way up to, gosh, I'd say 12, 13. Um, they're into it. And then as Justin said, um, any young man who's 12 or over is more than welcome to sit in with us. Uh, we have, I'd say we have three to four teenagers that sit in with us. They sometimes ask questions. They sometimes don't. But the way that it works is we, we, we all check in. We're there when, when they open at 930. Everyone gathers up. The place is really quiet. They haven't turned on the booming music or anything. Um, we all gather up. There's sort of a place where there's there's uh, picnic tables, sort of cafeteria tables. We gather everybody up. Um, the whoever is facilitating reads one chapter out of the reading collectively. Um, when you heard uh, Justin at the beginning talking about uh, how Jesus went to church, that was him addressing that big group. Um, we read one chapter. The kids are kind of dismissed, if you will. There's, there's kind of transition. Somebody brings uh, one of those little boxes of coffee for the dads. Somebody brings donuts sometimes. And then we, the dads filter into that room. The um, child care workers get set up, and then the kids are released. And then for about an hour and 15 minutes, the dads sit in that room. We read another chapter of the Bible collectively. So it's like every guy take two or three verses and go around the room. I kind of like that because it puts the scripture in everybody's lap. And there's no like leader. Uh, we're, not, we're not all here to hear what one person has to say. I will say, it's funny over time, the, the gray beards in the room and those who've been walking with the Lord for a long time or know the scriptures they over time they kind of get elevated in the room, so that um, there you kind of want to go. Hey guys, with all the questions, just pipe down for a second. We want to hear what this graybeard has to say. And when an, when an old guy joins us, it's it's particularly exciting. Um, uh, Jeremy's father is is usually with us. He was with us this past week, and we, and we were in a passage in uh, the book of Numbers that describes inheritance. There's two chapters in Numbers that talk about inheritance. Well, everybody got very interested in how inheritance works. Of course, when it's over, I'm very interested to hear what, uh, my, what my elder has to say and how he's running um, his retirement because he's, he's thinking of, of inheritance and he's working through those things and he's got some answers based on the scripture. I want to hear what he has to say. So 
that's just how, that's how it goes. And um, there's usually like a little closing prayer. There are a lot of conversations that happen afterward. Hey, I, I, I didn't get a chance to say, I have another color to add to what you said, or I didn't, we ran out of time. I just want to, I just, I just got to tell you, I disagree with what, with what you're saying. And um, anyways, it's, it's, it's a really exciting format. I'm about to ask both Justin and Jeremy some questions about in real time, what are those like? And I'm actually going to give you, I'll start with giving you a little clip of what it sounds like when it's actually happening. And then I'll go to some conversations I'm having with them about it. And then I'll come back at the end. Yeah, there's things that Genesis 3 require us to do, compromises that we have to make, um, but we can't let that cloud the design. So what do we do? Like, what do we do with this? I mean, these are super, super heavy things for our family, our culture, our trajectory, everything that we're choosing to do. You know, like, what are practical steps to even... I mean, I understand some of this is paradigm shifting, but like, man, as soon as I leave out of here, my kids are all gonna need six things at one time. You know, like, where do I begin with that? I think what I think what Justin said is really important. I think I think step one is get your paradigm right. Like, and understanding this. I mean, even I hearing that again today, I'm like, I still believe that to some degree. Like, why can't she just handle <laughs> right? And I just got, I got to stop. And it's like, well, of course, she's doing too much, you know, and I'm even home, right? And, and so I got to like recalibrate, what is my role in this? And what is my responsibility? Uh, when they did have the babies, they would have a family. Oftentimes, when people have families, they reevaluate their entire theology. And, they, and you can't, I think, I think that's a good reason. Brian, I think that's good. If you're right, I think you're right. So I think that's, that's the discussion we're having. Is that more likely? to result in more people confessing Jesus as Lord. If, if that is, then I, I think I would have to agree with you. I, I, think that, I think that's where... Well, our laws... We might differ. Laws should be structured such that it promotes Christ. It, it promotes, it pushes people. Because, you know, if you're arguing with a liberal about some issue, uh, like, oh, let's say, let's say uh, you know, homosexuality, so, uh, marriage, gay marriage, right? Ask question, why do we have to operate, like, we're talking about the disadvantage of labeling people who are being labeled. Why do we always operate out of people who are conservative labeling reasons? Because I think that does the same disservice we're asking people not to put on us, is to assume just because someone espouses a few beliefs, they therefore fall into this bucket. Uh, well, I'm... I don't know the answer to that, but uh, my point that I was making is often when people, uh, you're, you're in a debate about, let's say, gay marriage, I would say it's not immoral to say, I'm a Christian, I'm getting into politics. Uh, I don't think it really matters. Right. Like, See, I think honestly, Peter's disagreeing with you. I think that's you the problem so? is that Peter's saying, you're not allowed to hit the tribe button on the Christian, the, the, the tribe button. Tribe right. button. Right, using, tri using a tribe to try to push a, uh, any sort of institution. Where he say, like what? He's saying. He says, be honorable. He's saying you're. Uh, he's saying no, not just that, but it's also it's saying don't. Yeah, it's saying don't. Don't, don't use your freedom against. <laughs> is that you have to submit yourself to the governing authorities, and so if you start how to get, that, how does that not? You're betraying the government. Well, but what, how's that anti-tribal? It's it's anti-tribal in that you can create a tribe of insurrection in order to. Uh, change wait well, the the there's no insurrection, insurrection in wanting to have godly laws that's like what our our country is based on a rep representative democracy 
So if the majority of people in the country are against abortion, like we, you know, we should have, we should be able to promote that law and not be labeled that tribal advocate. There's certainly a tribe button for LGBTQ. And when there's more laws where you have to take responsibility for your action, I feel like that is also a good thing. The the more godly the law is. So this, I love this discussion. I think 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 the people riled up in this room. I just like yes, right down to the nuance of where this is, and I, I think. Let's talk about today. So we had one of those meetings today. Yeah. You you have set up a reading plan um, that people can opt into if yeah. they just want to read through. What what are your observations about what happened today? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this there is something that happens very consistently, and I think today was a good example where. Um, I feel like men uh, that, that have this really intense experience, they begin to be shaped by divine revelation. I think that's what happened today. I think guys um, saw the extreme applicability of the scriptures that we were talking about, how it contrasts with everything, you know, not just secular culture, but even, you know, modern Christian culture. And they and start to see, as they look around the room, other fathers who are leading their families into a consistent um, obedience to what the scriptures are revealing and, and getting excited. Yeah. Like, oh, this is the an- Like, there are real answers. Like, um, and I, I, if, I know where to go when there's real questions. You, you just, there's a sense of momentum of brotherhood, of camaraderie, and <clears throat> I think a, a love for the ways of Jesus. Like, like that there is there is real light, real truth, real beauty <clears throat> in in His revelation to us about um, about what what is the truth and who He was. So I think I think that Jesus, like uh, His ways, because so we, we spent a lot of time in Matthew seventeen. Um, part of the way you know you'll probably describe this, but we're we're I'm just picking two really applicable chapters from the Bible reading. So we're going through wherever in the scriptures seems applicable. And so we, we get into the Gospels and the Epistles as well as the Torah and the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. But man, yeah, I, I think that's what I sense. Um, and it, it, we need this. Like we need a place where you feel like, like this is real. Mm-hmm. Like we're, you know, there's a moment I think and guys are like, oh, whoa, this is like... On my front it just got door. real. Yeah. <laughs> like you need that experience with other men. Um, we're not playing games, yeah. you know. Um, and there's nothing I think more. I think the reason why Christianity is has really turned off a lot of men is it does feel that way in a lot of its current traditions and iterations. It doesn't feel like oh whoa this just got real. Right. Like, it's not challenging enough. It's not. Yep. Um, it's, it's padded. It's yes. sentimental. Yes. Yeah. So. You, you don't get that feeling in this room. Yeah. Well, it, one thing that was interesting, um, I'm sure you noted as well, was when we start getting into the, the fact that the Word of God cuts, it yeah. slices and dices, and this is the Torah guy's 
all over this, always saying like there's categories. Yeah. We have to declare that this thing is clean and this thing is unclean. And when, the, when those kind of uh, distinctions are made in the room, Michael immediately said, I want to be with guys who are, who are all the way in. Yeah. And suddenly there's this bar raised in the room. Everybody feels like, well, am I one of those guys that's all the way in? I want to meet that requirement. And then you start, then you start thinking through your life. Well, am I, am I honoring uh, God's intention? I could talk about this, the passage we were on specifically today. But am I meeting God's intentions throughout my family? Am I doing this with the way that our family observes the Sabbath? Am I doing this in my work life? Am I prioritizing the kingdom right. of God above all things? And there's this feeling of, there's a, I think there's a healthy peer pressure and a feeling of, dude, do, can I measure up to the men in this room? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think that statement that you are, you are the average of your five closest friends is, it, that's something that a lot of men don't even understand about themselves. They don't know how much the friends in their life have set the bar for what they think. Fatherhood, spiritual leadership, mm-hmm. you know, income, whatever. Like every area, we, we sort of have a, a compass for where that bar is. And, and this raises that. And I think that, that men have to be in a room uh, with, with, you know, with other brothers that they, they respect where that, is being, uh, that bar is, is, being, is being raised, is put, put into its proper place. You know, and we, we, can, we all need to be humble and admit that like, we're falling short of so much. And it's okay for us to talk through the challenges that this creates for us. Um, but it's, we also need to be okay with being challenged. And I think that, that there is this coddling that I think so many people are lifting up as somehow, you know, the, the ultimate in, um, in what it means to be you know, either humble or kind or compassionate. Yeah. And, and I don't think that, that coddling people is compassionate. I think that it hurts their children. It hurts right. their wives. It hurts their families. Like we need to say, hey, dude, what's going on? Like, like, and so, yeah, I think I think that men need to sense that gravitas um, um, amongst their peers, and and this is not so that they can somehow, you know, become a proud, arrogant person, and that's something we need to constantly confront, you know. But it's so that they can lead. Yeah. Um, they can. They have big responsibilities on their shoulders. And when, you know, they they just are being continuously coddled, um, they are likely going to buckle under that load. So sometimes you need your brothers to say, no, 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 you got this. Like, we got this. Like, we can do this. Don't sell yourself short. Let's let's do it. And if I can help you. And part of what happens in these midrashes is what happens outside, which is that people, you know, find, you know, make alliances with other families. They make business partnerships. They they think about how to, you know, how to start things together, ministries. They get their wives and children together outside and find people they can do life with that are, you know, like we need that. We need that. We need to find the people that are like serious in the kingdom about obeying the king and and make those kinds of deep relational uh, connections with each other. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'll just put it on tape to say I appreciate you uh, hacking through the deep weeds to create a forum like this. I'd never heard of a midrash before you. And um, I think of uh, Proverbs eleven twenty five says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. 
So I hope the kind of challenge that you want to inspire in others, you get for yourself and get <laughs> yes, built up in this forum. Yes. So. Excellent. Yeah, I learn so much every time. I, I, I can't tell you how much easier it is for me to have a conversation with my wife about what I'm learning. I can't, it's, it's hard to forget when a fight breaks out in a midrash what the text said, what the interpretations might be, and what the applications. Like, it gets, like, if you have our time memorizing or understanding the relevance of a passage, get into a midrash. Great point. You will not forget Great what point. happens in those rooms. I can, I can spend half an hour kind of walking my wife through, you know, what happened in an hour and a half. Because it's, it's the tension and the discovery that happens creates deep memory about what this that's is. That's right. So that's helpful. Do you have any quick tips for somebody who is there, there you, and you're thinking, I, I would like this. I, how do I start this up? Would you have any tips for somebody? Well, for me, every, every rhythm like this starts by um, making a very strong personal commitment to showing up at a certain time and saying, even if one other person shows up, I'm going to be very, very stubborn about defending this rhythm until it takes off. Um, and so, um, so I, I try to find a time that I absolutely can commit to, um, you know, if it's weekly or every other week, then I, I make a commitment to firing off invites, um, you know, a day or two before, um, and I, I stick with it for months until it takes off. Like, you can't say, oh, nobody showed up, yeah. you know, or two guys showed up, and, like, you do the work. Like, like it's going to take That's some great. time. You're breaking into people's lives um, you know, a rhythm that they're not familiar with. So have a lot of grace for the fact that, you know, people are going to be in and out. They're going to be confused. Um, and if you really want this, you, you really believe in it. Whoever believes most has to sacrifice most. So do the work and um, send the invites out, you know, every time. And after a couple of months, you will find yourself in a room with a bunch of guys who are sharpening each other. That, that's going to that's gonna happen. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, so give me some more thoughts on how you, as a facilitator, get in. You know there's going to be a passage. You read a passage, and, it, and the room is crickets. Yeah, so you, it becomes, here's another thing that pushes on us. If you go to church, you're a consumer. You don't have any responsibility. You can sit there and consume. If you come to a midrash, you need to come. We need, we need to come prepare to share and be taught. <laughs> yeah. And so it, there's a collective weight on the group. And so as you're thinking about this, if you just like to be, I don't want to, I don't want to act like I'm a know-it-all, you know, you're in, in your mind, you're going to give yourself reasons not to speak up. Mm-hmm. You need to speak up. Some people need, you need to be speaking up and you need to be taught. And so it's a dance. It's really, unco- am I coming to learn or am I coming to teach? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. And that dance again is that you got to, everyone's got to share in that weight and have an opinion and have questions and push back. And we have to do this together. Yeah. And that pushes, we as men, if we're honest, we hate that. We yeah. love and hate that. Uh, we love being passive and sitting and <laughs> consuming, you know, because that's our flesh. Yeah. But God has designed us to be iron sharpening iron. That is where fruit is going to come. Yeah. We read a juicy passage today, Matthew 19, which where Jesus talks about divorce to his guys. And I, I'm always doing this here where I have a lot of hot sports opinions on um, Matthew 19, but I don't want to just roll out a dogma and make the young guys nod their heads. So I coach myself to sit back, let them chew on it, and let's fight about it a little bit. And if it touches on something I want to speak to, okay, I'll do it. 
Do you have any coaching for an old timer like me uh, about um, how often to to speak? Yeah, you want a, you want the people with more wisdom speaking more. That's a fair statement. Mm. Uh, but the process to take a group on a journey is slower. It's more efficient for you to <laughs> have wisdom to hit a podcast, send it out. We all get your knowledge. We run. <laughs> right. That's way more efficient. But God's systems, even from the beginning, are incredibly inefficient. If you think about it this way, God spent a whole generation with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One person. We were like, God, you could have been more efficient. You could have gotten more people involved sooner. Yeah, well, the megaphone. Yes. Like, why did you just, why are you so inefficient in the way you do things? Well, that brings a whole group along. And so if you are a teacher, preacher type, you will have a hard time with Midrash because you want to control it. You want it to go all your way. I try to picture that. I, <laughs> I, I try to picture that there's young guys that are being brought up. And I've seen this over 10 years. There's guys now leading, reading the Bible around their table in their homes. Lots of them. Yeah. Because they've been sitting in these environments. Yep. And so that's my picture is I want them to come along yep. and feel that that vision is uh, inefficient in a sense in the American standard, but yeah. incredibly fruitful in the yeah. kingdom standard. What a beautiful vision, which is if we exalt the scriptures together, all we do is read a chapter. Everybody starts making comments and then get into it and have a guy over time have the confidence to go, look, I don't know all the answers about all the scriptures, but I can also hold forth the word. I can do that with my family. I could do that at Thanksgiving with the extended family because I don't have to know everything. The word itself, yes. the, the magic is in the word. Yes. So uh, I'm reminded of the, of the parable Jesus said where like the man plants seed, he goes to sleep. He doesn't even know how it works, but the word does the work. You know, the seed does the work and it, and it comes back and it's, and it's made a plant and he doesn't even know, he had, there was nothing to do with his skill or his expertise. And so getting, repeatedly putting, making men clash with the word makes, as we just read today uh, from uh, Isaiah 32, makes them noble and so that they can handle the word in their own lives, which, which is a pretty glorious thing. It's great because most men feel the pressure to be a great teacher or a funny storyteller if they're going to open the Bible because that's what's modeled to them. Uh-huh. And that, that's going to be paralyzing for 99% of men. <laughs> yeah. And what you described, I love, is if the word is primary and I'm not responsible for being this charismatic teacher, I'm just responsible for reading it. Well, I can read. Yeah. That's a way different vision. That's a bar that as fathers we can reach. Awesome. Thank you for your comments. Thank you, Stephen. Well, I, I hope you understand my little primer, why I wanted to share with you uh, some background about what the Jewish Midrash, you don't have to call it that, but the discussion forum for men coming to the scriptures, the historical reference for it, how it's biblical, and what it can look like in real time. For me, it's it really is the most exciting meeting ground for going over the scriptures. And I want, as you can understand, I want all of my friends there because I'm being shaped by these conversations. I want to be shaped by the men that I trust and I want us in agreement. And so the best thing for us to do is just be processing through the scriptures together. And um, anyways, I, I hope you, I hope you're kind of inspired and I hope that you think, gosh, it's, it's a pretty simple format. We could pull this off. We might could pull this off where I live. 
Anyways, we'd love any follow-up conversations. The best place for us to do follow-up conversations is on the Volley app. So if you have some input or thoughts, ask me. Uh, I'd love to tell you based on my experience. Um, I might get some answers from our, our experts, Justin and Jeremy, and have them come in with some uh, additional wisdom for you. But anyways, that's, uh, that's how men go to church, according to the Bible. And uh, bless you guys. We'll see you next week.